Well, among the other things that it's great to see today is that Talib is using a, mic a stand with pieces of paper on them <laughs> instead of uh, uh, an iPad because I, I thought about borrowing Alexis's, my 10-year-old's iPad, and trying to scroll through that, but I didn't want to try a new technology on the first time here, and I'm used to using paper, so it's nice to know that we're both on the same page <laughs> that way. I'm not technologically, I'm not showing how technologically deficient I am. Uh, you're not doing that regularly. Well, this morning I'd, I'd like to talk to you and tell you some stories about my work at the Scripps Encinitas Hospital, and in particular about how I pray during my day and in the course of my work. I do that for a couple of reasons. Um, as an ordained minister in the Methodist Church, but not one working as a pastor here, you don't get to see or get to hear about very often the kind of work that I do. And so I just like you to know about my ministry, what it is that I do in the hospital. And second, I want to talk about prayer and to encourage you in your prayer life. I, I want to tell you some of the ways that I pray um, through my day, myself, and with others, and hope that you might recognize ways that you could uh, pray and deepen your own prayer life and your spiritual walk. I recently came across the 40th um, anniversary edition of a book, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. I remember as a young adult finding this book to be very uh, meaningful and helpful on my spiritual walk and having just come across this book recently and thumbing through it, I find it still to be wonderfully insightful. Um, in it, Foster talks about many disciplines of faith. Uh, sometimes I like to just say practices of faith. It's a little bit less of a loaded term. Um, just practices of faith, things that we do to deepen our spiritual lives and to assist us to open ourselves up to God. Um, one of those, of, of course, is prayer. And about prayer, um, Foster says this, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with God. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. It's the thing that is most likely something when I'm talking to people in the hospital, whether they're avid Christians and churchgoers or people who say they're spiritual but not religious or, or people who kind of don't know where they stand in. Frequently people will say, oh yeah, sure, I pray sometimes or I pray lots of times. And so prayer is, is as Foster says, a central avenue through which we can place ourselves in God's presence and God can use that to, to work in our lives. Well, first, before I tell stories, let's look at um, the biblical story. And I just want to read two short passages. One is from Paul's letters, one of my favorite passages from Paul. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's such a wonderful passage, and we could unpack that in many different ways, but of course I want to focus on that middle two words, pray without ceasing. That, that middle three words, <laughs> pray without ceasing. I could have said pray constantly. I guess other, other uh, translations say that. So pray without ceasing. Wonderful words, and yet, oh my gosh, how challenging. How can we even think that we might be able to pray all the time as Paul is encouraging us to do there? Well, let's, let's, let's keep that question in mind, and I'll, I'll return to that later. A second 
um, passages from Matthew. I'm just going to, again, read a short passage, although then I'll tell you about what comes before and after. It, it's the tradition here that we stand when we read the gospel pas passage. So let's, let's stand to hear these words from Matthew 14, 23. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Now, go ahead and be seated. Well, of course, that passage sounds like prayer is something that we do that's far away, that's different, that you have to devote a lot of time to, that's over there, a retreat from the real world. And there is a place for that, certainly, in the, in the um, workings of prayer. But what immediately precedes that is Jesus feeding 5,000 people. And what immediately comes after that well, Jesus walks on the water. That's another piece. But then when he gets to the other side, he's going around and people bring him people who are sick and he heals them. So if we take out the miraculous aspects of those stories, that's a, a sermon for another time. Um, Jesus is involved in simple, basic ministry, feeding hungry people, tending to and visiting people who are sick. What more simple ways of being in ministry did Jesus show and our those are things that, of course, we continue to do. And in the midst of both those stories, in feeding and healing, Jesus prays in simple ways. So Jesus himself models how prayer can be something that is just woven into our daily lives and daily interactions with others. And so first let me tell you about um, how I pray with people who are coming into the hospital to um, have surgery. I'm frequently asked to do a pre-op prayer with people. When I do that, um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll sit down with the person, um, ask them how they're feeling about what's going on, what, what the plan is, um, ask them a little bit about their faith background and church connection. Because, of course, I don't, I don't have one specific um, you know, word-for-word -word prayer that I say. I want to reflect how they're feeling, how they're doing, and to use as much as I can the language that they're most comfortable in faith. Sometimes I'll ask them, well, what word do you use for God? You know, some people find Father to be a, a comforting and wonderful word, and some people are really turned off by that. And so I try to use the language that people are most comfortable with themselves, you know, to the degree that I'm able. And then, so a, a prayer might go something like this. Uh, Dear God, I, I pr uh, we know that you're always with us, and yet I pray that your presence might be especially felt with Margaret right now, that you would just surround her with your loving care and bring comfort and, and calm to her spirit. Um, we pray for the doctors and nurses, all those who are going to take care of, of Margaret today. Um, pray that uh, you would give them wisdom and insight and compassion as they do their work. We pray that you will bring healing and wholeness to her body, that she can get home soon. Thank you so much for her family, for all those who are supporting her. Thank you so much, especially, Lord, for your prayer, for your guidance, for your love, and, and your presence here today. Amen. Well, that's not exactly what I'd say any time, and it varies each time depending on the situation. But that's the kind of prayer that I, I share every day with people in the hospital. So let me tell you a, a very different kind of prayer that I share sometimes as well. Um, I went to see another woman. Now, I'm I'm, I'm going to call her Barbara, just so you know. These are real stories, um, but they're not the real names of people to respect their privacy. Um, Barbara is a woman who said that she was spiritual but not religious. 
There's a lot of people in, uh, in California who describe themselves that way. I, I imagine some of you in this room might say that you're spiritual but not religious. Uh, she said that, um, you know, she wasn't too sure about God, but she knew there was some kind of spiritual presence, and she really tried to, to be, be part of that in some way, and that the most um, grounding time in her spiritual life she spent when she was at the beach, and when she was uh, sitting on a rock, and um, just kind of absorbing the beauty of that place. So we talked about that a little bit, and I realized, oh my gosh, she's been here in the hospital for more than two weeks. I, I said, look, I realize you're stuck here in the hospital. You haven't been able to get to the beach. And then we looked out the window. There's a big picture window by, uh, by in her room, and we could see it was almost sunset. And I said to her, well, look, right now, it's almost sunset. What a beautiful time to be at the beach. Let's just, let's just go there in your imagination. And I said, well, picture right now um, that you're at the beach in your favorite place, sitting on that rock, and uh, that you can feel the, the wind on your face, and you can see the colors changing in the sky, and, and you can smell the salt air. And I, I just tried to engage her in all her feelings. And say, now just feel how those, those things are just working in you to, to bring peace and calm and comfort. And, um, and when we came back to the moment, so if you've, if you've gone to the beach now, you can come back for from down here. <laughs> um, she, uh, she, she just, just um, looked a little bit more comfortable in that moment, right then, having experienced that. Just a little bit less sense of pain and discomfort. Um, and I encouraged her every day at, at sunset, maybe every day at, when it's getting light at other times, that she could remember just to, um, in her own mind, go to that special place that she had that could be a place, a, a prayerful place, a place of peace and spiritual comfort. Sometimes I do um, say prayers that are familiar and comfortable for people. It's not unusual that... Um, especially when I visit with our Catholic brothers and sisters, um, but also others as well that I uh, figure would know this, that I end the time of, of prayer with saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Catholic brothers and sisters call it the Our Father. I always think it's kind of humorous. We have two names for the exact same prayer. Um, and saying that prayer um, with perhaps me and just a patient or perhaps a whole family gathered around in a circle is a way of uniting together in an ancient tradition one comes straight from the Bible and that people have been saying for ages and that many people have said every day or every week for years and years and years. And sometimes something that's familiar and comfortable can be very comforting and bring a sense of God's presence to them. Every morning I um, look in the computer and it gives me some patients who have requested the uh, chaplain to visit. And one day I looked at that list and there was uh, a man who was, um, had a kind of a long, complicated name. I'll call him Kumar because he was Indian. Um, he was listed as Hindu. So I kind of figured sometimes that gets checked in, in error. So I went to introduce myself, but I, I did so in a way to him and as, as an older Indian gentleman and his wife. I, I introduced myself in a way that if they really they didn't care to see me, that it would be easy for them to say, no, no thanks. And right away, Kumar looked up at me and said, I just wish that I would die. I'm a terrible burden on my family. And his wife said, 
And I went, oh, no, this is not a mistake. <laughs> I need to be here. And I pulled up a chair and sat down. And we had a long conversation, and I empathized with him as an older man who had taken care of his family for a long time. Uh, it turned out he, um, he was a successful businessman in India, but all of his children had come to the United States. And when he retired, he and his wife came here to help take care of the grandchildren. They had not been here long when he had a stroke. He could speak quite well, but he was mostly paralyzed on one side, and they were doing a lot of rehab, but it was uncertain how, um, how much he was going to recover from all that. And he felt like he was a burden to his family. As, as we talked about that, again, I, I, I empathize that he had provided for his family. He had worked hard to take care of them, and he thought he was going to keep doing that, and now he was in a position where they had to take care of him. And, and he found that he, his, his dignity was affected by that. And I encouraged him to pray, and I wasn't exactly sure the way that in, uh, Hindu people pray, but I suggested that in his own way that, that he would pray and just keep reminding himself to say to himself, my family loves me just the way I am, and they want to take care of me just as I've taken care of them throughout my life. And, and we said just those very words uh, several times together, and he kept saying those, and and his wife nodded as we were saying those things. And I, I hope, I, my own prayer was that those words could help to, to shift his focus, to shift his thinking a little bit more toward being affirming of his own life and the love which his ha family had for him. One time I was in the emergency department and got directed to the room of a woman who was a, a VIP in the hospital quite elderly woman. Um, she was having something go terribly wrong with her heart. Um, but when I went in, she was awake. She was talking. I talked with her a little bit. I sat with her. She said that she was Quaker and told me a little bit about her family and her background. Um, There's a few people in and out. The doctor came in and out. They were trying to decide um, what course of action to take, if they could treat her at our hospital. Um, or perhaps they really needed to bundle her up and ship her off as quickly as possible to La Jolla that has much more advanced heart treatments that they can do. Or perhaps really they just needed to focus on keeping her comfortable and, and making sure that she was uh, comfortable and, and not in any pain and, and let nature take its course. Well, they had her family on the phone and a nurse was trying to put an IV in her arm and I was sitting there holding her hand and all of a sudden, um, Miss Annie, we were sitting there watching her and talking with her, and she just kind of went. <gasps> she lay back more, and she closed her eyes. And the nurse and I looked at each other, and something had happened. And it looked like she was dying. And they talked with their family on the phone, and the, the daughter was quite certain, don't do anything. She does not want to receive CPR. So there's nothing you can do for her. The doctor said, there's, there's nothing we can do more for her. And several of us just stood there. And in a few minutes, she had stopped breathing. And it was such an amazing moment. And I looked around to the six or eight people in the room, and I said, well, Miss Annie said that she was Quaker. And Quaker people worship primarily by joining together in silence. And so let's, let's have a minute together of silent prayer to honor Annie and her tradition. And we did that. And at the end, I, I just said very briefly a prayer and thanks for her life and her generosity and commending her to God. And then the people trickled out of the room 
And people, several of the staff told me later how much they appreciated that in that moment of, of kind of shock and, and change, that we had that moment of focus together where we could honor her and be able to set that at rest so that they could go on with their day. It kind of brought a sense of closure and a sense of, of togetherness for that group just to even share a few moments of silence. There's a number of people at the hospital who actively um, teach or practice mindfulness uh, meditation. Perhaps you're familiar with that. It's especially popular in healthcare circles, although I hear about people talking about it in other settings as well. Mindfulness, there's a lot of different specific techniques that are involved, but the basic idea of it is um, to seek to kind of quiet your mind and, and try to uh, focus so that you're not worried about all the things there are to worry about and concerned about what happened yesterday and, and anxious about the future, but being able to be focused in just the present right here and right now. Um, just to uh, calm that, the inner dialogue a little bit. Um, that, uh, that kind of mindfulness prayer, um, really the people who are, are, are uh, working hard to bring that into our country are, it's kind of, are, um, it's kind of a westernized model of, of a Buddhist practice. But the basic idea of it really is very similar to uh, Christian contemplative practices that people in the Christian church have been practiced for, for many, many centuries as well. The, um, the way that I practice it most, um, well, and, and let me say, within the Christian tradition, perhaps you might want to add a little piece, which is that the quieting of our mind is not just for the sake of that, but to help us open ourselves to God and to ask God's presence to be with us. Um, I have a breath prayer that I say, a simple prayer um, with s simple words of, of praise and petition um, that I've put together a long time ago and that I find as a way to, um, when I just, just need to say a, a simple prayer that instead of just trying to be empty, I, I have a few words that I can use. And my breath prayer is overflow my heart with your love, O God. And I use that frequently during my day. And so part of the idea of mindfulness and part of the idea of using my breath prayer is um, what helps to do that is to have um, different times or different events, different things that happen in your day that can be calls to prayer, that can be reminders to uh, lift yourself up to God. And so there's a number of different things in the hospital that are reminders for me. Um, one of them is, the, the one that I love the most, is that um, whenever a baby is born in the hospital, that happens five or 10 times a day, they push a button in the birthing center and on the overhead system, qu very quietly in the background comes some little chimes. And it was a couple months into my working there that I just would sometimes hear that I never knew what it was. And finally I realized that meant a baby was born. And so now whenever I hear that, I just pause whatever I'm doing, and I just say, oh, oh God, be with that baby and that family, Bring, help, help them have strength and, and, uh, and love together. And I encourage other people to do that as well. Um, a group that gets together to practice mindfulness was doing this last week, and the leader of that group suggested, um, you know, being in a hospital, we're always using 
a hand gel. Every time I go in and out of a room, I always wash my hands. And so that takes, what, 15 or 20 seconds that you're just kind of going like this. And so he said, well, that's a moment. Instead of just kind of rushing through that, to just take a pause and take a deep breath. For me, I thought of the um, passage from uh, Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's about how long it takes to get my hands washed. When I, I worked for many years as a hospice chaplain, and so instead of in one setting as I am now, I, I was driving all around the community, visiting people in their homes. And so one of the calls to prayer that I would try to practice was when I would get stopped at a red light. And of course, how irritating is that? And yet I would try to think, okay, that's not an irritation. This is a moment for me to, to stop, and I don't have to do anything. I can just be here in a moment of prayer and say my breath prayer. Whenever I go into a patient's room, I usually stop at the door. And again, I just say, overflow my heart with your love, oh God. It's a way to just focus myself a little bit. Another time for me is um, when there's a code. A, a code is when someone's heart is stopped and they're doing CPR. It's usually very busy, a lot of people involved. I often go to those codes and usually I don't really have anything to do. And I'll just stand quietly in the corner and say my breath prayer and look out and, and kind of think in terms of a blessing for this person and all the people who are working there. So I, I hope you've, you've realized and thinking back to Paul's words, pray without ceasing, uh, mindfulness or using a breath prayer or, or having these reminders through the day, that, that's a way that we can approach that. I, I'm not sure if I'll ever reach perfection as our, our, our John Wesley, the Methodist, said that we should always be reaching out for perfection. I'm not sure I'll ever reach that of praying without ceasing, but that's ways that we can remind ourselves to help ourselves open ourselves up to God. And so I, I, I would just encourage you to uh, think of ways within your day that um, things that can be reminders to pray, ways to um, remind yourself to open yourself up to God's presence and to reach out in prayer to other people. Um, so... Although I'm an employee of Scripps Healthcare, really in truth, I, I serve God. I serve the church. I serve the United Methodist Church. Um, and I serve this church as your emissary to people who are hurting, people who are sick, people who are grieving. I serve as your outreach minister uh, to be a prayerful presence to people in times of crisis. I'm so grateful to this church uh, for that opportunity and for that ministry. And I th just thank you and I thank God for the ability to be there. Well, let's join together in prayer. Loving God, thank you for this time to join in worship, to uh, lift ourselves up in song and prayer and word and thought and at the t your table. Thank you for these people gathered, and you know the hurts and the loves and the uh, blessings in our lives, and we pray that you will be there as a presence and that we can continue to seek to open ourselves up to your loving presence in our lives. Uh, Lord, there are so many places in the world where there is pain and suffering, where there is so much need for you to work your loving care. We pray that you would be an active presence in this world and in, this, in people's lives. 
Thank you so much, Lord, that you guide us and lead us in our lives. And we pray all this in our precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.